So if you guys will turn to, we're going to 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, and you'll go ahead and stand while we read through this. I'm going to put it, thanks Brian, I'm going to put it up on the screen up here, and the reason I'm doing that today is because I'm going to be using the English Standard Version instead of a New Living, because this passage is pretty technical in a lot of things. So this translation goes a lot closer to the original Greek, so I'm going to be using this. You guys can use whatever you got, do whatever you want, as long as it's, you know, the Bible that would be good. So I'm going to read it uh, real quick. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, who were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to them. All right, guys, go ahead and take a seat. I almost forgot to dismiss the first service. They were still standing. I was like, sit down, sit down. Now, I want to set the tone for this passage because this I read this and I was like, oh, man, what is this about? So I put a quote up here from the commentary. And it says this, this section contains some of the most difficult exegetical problems in the New Testament. So if you're not really understanding what exegetical means, it's basically this is one of the most difficult passage in all of Scripture to understand. So before we get too far, I really wanted to thank real quick Pastor Brian. Thank you again for this opportunity to, to come and preach uh, this. Yeah, thank you so much. I am uh, really grateful And so, yeah, back to, oh, yes, this contains some of the most difficult exegetical problems in the New Testament. He is a great delegator, our Pastor Brian. Um, So we are going to we are going to get started. In all kidding, I appreciate Brian and I appreciate that he trusted me uh, enough. That's how I look at this. He trusted me enough. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. He trusted me enough to go through this passage. So I am absolutely grateful for this opportunity. So we're going to go ahead and start in verse 18. And what I'm going to do is because this passage is it kind of goes kind of back and forth. What I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to teach through verses 18, 21 and 22 and give you guys a framework for the whole thing. And then we're going to get into verses 19 and 20, which just kind of go like Peter's like, (laughs) he kind of goes off a little bit. So we're going to go 18, 21, and 22, get framework for the whole thing, and then we're going to come back in and start talking about those really difficult parts of the passage. So let's start with verse 18, and it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this is... I mean, I love this. There is no better way to start scripture than to start with the gospel. I think, you know, like if you're going to start something, start with, you know, death and resurrection. And you really can't lose. So this is what he's doing. It's talking about Jesus Christ. When it just says Christ, it's Jesus Christ um, suffered once for our sins. The righteous, which means that he, the perfect person that never sinned. That's what righteousness means. Jesus, the perfect person that never sinned. 
died and resurrected for our sins, the unrighteous, all the people that don't sin, that's all of us, okay? Don't, that, you, you're not on the righteous side, just in case you were wondering. Unrighteous. So Jesus died for the unrighteous so that he might bring us to God. I think sometimes the church, we get really enamored with, like, what the gospel is. And we talk about, oh, okay, do you know about the death and resurrection for your sins? And we, like, want people to know exactly the right words and exactly, like, when you pray to receive Jesus, you know, this is the prayer, you know, and this is the thing but we forget what's the whole point of the gospel the whole point the good news is that it brings us to god so we get so enamored with like say the right thing do the right prayer do the you know get your romans road out and get your little book you know and that you know they've got those things and but the idea is yes do all that and make sure you have the gospel there but the whole point of the gospel is to get you to God. And so that's the whole point. And so I love that Peter starts with that. He's like the gospel and it gets us to God. And that's awesome. And if you don't know and you're not familiar with the gospel or the good news that he's referencing, I'm looking at first, this is from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. It's a little bit, you know, those dot, dot, dot means I cut out some of the verse, but it says this. I want to tell the good news, which is what gospel is translated, good news, to you again, and I love it again, because you know I already told him a hundred times, he's like, he's going to like, I'm going to tell you again, you know, parents, you guys know this, you're going to tell your kids again, you know, I do this all the time, youth, I tell you again, because it's important that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day. So he died, he buried, and was resurrected. This is the gospel. So if you're ever wondering what the gospel, like what makes you a Christian, what you believe that makes you a Christian, it's this. It's the gospel. It's that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he resurrected. That is the thing. That belief and that faith in that is what makes you a Christian. If anyone adds to that, that's good Christian theology probably, but it's not the gospel. So this is the basic gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, the cool thing about this um, is that it ties into baptism. And so I have this picture up here, and this was one of, (laughs) I love this picture. Thank you. This is Tim Franz right here. He took this picture. Um, I had the opportunity to baptize one of my really good friends, Austin Mullen. I'd known him for about, let's see, nine years now. And um, he uh, he's over here. Can you stand up, give a little wave? I just want to show you the size difference. Look at how big I am. This is my boy right here. I knew him when he was smaller than me. And I had this opportunity to baptize him, and I was so excited. I can't even, like, I was crying when he's like, can't we baptize you? And I was like, I would love to baptize you, man, you know? Like, I was, I was stoked to do this. And so we go into this baptism, and remember, baptism is a picture of the gospel. So it's, it's you are going down in the death of Jesus. It's a representation of that. The burial, you're at the bottom, and then you come on up for resurrection, right? Well, (laughs) in basic pastoral school or whatever we're supposed to do, there is a proper way, if you're doing immersion, to baptize people. And what you do is you have them, you say, okay, you make a fist, and you have them hold it at their chest, and then they can either hold it or hold their nose. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to grab hold of them, their hands, get them down for the death and burial, because we need to get them back up for the resurrection, right? We need to get them to the good part about the gospel. I was so excited on that day. <laughs> Instead of grabbing his hand and going down where he's doing it, I just go face palm down. And, <laughs> and poor Austin, Austin goes down and he's a big dude and I'm not that big and I'm like already reaching over the tank and I was like, Lord, let me get him to resurrection. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like 
grabbed my other hand and I'm like, come on, buddy. You know, he probably had some ab work coming in until he finally got up into the resurrection part. But I will never forget that baptism because I was like, Lord, resurrection, resurrection. You know, <laughs> come on up, dude. But, I mean, he experienced the death and burial in a really real way because there was a moment there we weren't sure we are going to get to resurrection. But... Uh, <laughs> But we did. He came up. Don't worry. He's fine. Uh, he's still fine. Um, he's still alive. Thank you. Um, and so th- that's what baptism does is, is you are identifying, you are publicly identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. That's what it is. It is a public identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the way that we do it, you know, it's very it's obvious, you know, because you're kind of like going down and you're coming up. But the thing about it is not everyone does baptism the same way. And so let's go ahead and look at this verse 21. because We're going to talk about this in just a second. Um, so let's look at verse 21. So baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, remember that, okay? Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that we have to be careful about, okay? When we read the Bible, it is very easy to take the English translation part and then just be like, oh, of course, this is what it means, because that's what English says. And so if you read the first part of verse 21 and stop, so if you say, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, and you stop, what is that? It looks like baptism saves you, right? It looks like you get baptized and you're good to go. Now, if that were true, which in some ways I was like, that'd be so easy because we could save the world. I mean, we'd all be arrested, but we could save the world because we'd just be like running up to people and dunking them in the water, you know, in the name of Jesus, Father God. You know, like I would I would do it, man. I would just take random people like if they're at the river swimming or or wild water I'd be like, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You know, I'd be saving the world before I got arrested. You know, I'd take at least 100 people with me. You know what I mean? Because it would be, I would, I would. If that was, like, what it was, I'm taking people with me. You know, like, if baptism saved people, we would all be doing it. Because we could save the world in probably, you know, maybe a year if we did it right, you know. We could be quick, you know, just real quick, you know. And, um... But the problem is, is it's not just the first part of the verse, right? You have to read the whole thing and get context. So it's not that baptism now saves you. Go farther down where it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not baptism alone that saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not the act of baptism. It's not that you go in some water and you get back up. But it actually is the resurrection of Jesus that you are identifying with. That is what saves you. That's why baptism is so great, is because you are identifying publicly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every time we get baptized, like when Austin got baptized, it was him saying, God, I am with you. I am with you in this, and I'm ready. I'm identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I am with you. I'm going to continue this with you, and we're going to do this thing together. It's a public declaration of that. That's why it is so powerful. It's not that, that baptism itself, it's not getting wet and coming back up. It's not that. But you are publicly saying, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I identify with it, and it's part of my life, and I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go do this thing. That's why, you know, some of those people make it, it's, yes, it is solemn, and, you know, it's a good thing, you know, like, to make it, you know, important. But it's also like... It's a joyful thing because you, it's also like you're just, it's, I don't say like joining an army, but join, joining in with him, partnering with God and saying, we're going to go do this thing 
You know, I think that's so awesome. And I think that so oftentimes we lose the importance of that and we get really stuck on the mode of baptism. Like, I like the way that we do it because, you know, like you can really see the death and resurrection because we're really, we're going down. But a lot of my, I grew up Presbyterian, so a lot of my people were sprinkled or, you know, or you're getting poured on. And if you had like a really like, like me, if I was doing it that way, I'd be really excited. I, they were pouring the whole jug. It was almost immersion. You know, they were just soaking wet, but it wasn't quite. So sometimes we get really like, we just we create divides and divisions over this thing of like, oh, well, you sprinkled or you poured. That wasn't enough water. You know, like, like the amount of water is going to save you more. The amount of water makes a huge difference. But we, we create such a problem in the church like, oh, your people sprinkle, you know, or, or your people pour. You know, and I was like, no, no, no. In the passage right now, it says it's not about the removal of dirt from the body. It's not amount, about the amount of water that gets on your body. You know, it's not like spray bottle versus full immersion. God is saying it is through, what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ that this thing has power. So whether you get sprinkled or poured, the resurrection is the same. You know, it's not like you get more resurrection with more water. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's not how it works. And so we need to stop, like, dividing the church because you sprinkle, you pour, and we immerse. It doesn't matter. All of them do the same. They identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus through the gospel. So let's drop the motive, you know, of baptism and let that not be a dividing point, but let the gospel be a uniting point. Because that is the whole point of the gospel and baptism is to unite in one spirit, one Lord, one God. That is the point. That is the absolute point. Not all of that other stuff. It is through the resurrection of Jesus. It is through what God is doing. Not what you're doing. Not how much water I put on you. So in short, baptism does not save you, but it reflects the gospel which does. Baptism is about what God did and not what you are doing. It's about who he is and the things that he has done. Okay? That is important. Verse 22 says this. I'm going to go to 21. So who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God. So Jesus resurrects and he has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I love this verse because we never get to talk about this in church. This is my favorite. I love this. I'm so excited to have this. So who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So let's look at this. So angels, it's not just the happy ones, people. When it says the angels, it's also the fallen angels, which other words are demons and even the devil himself. So God goes up in his resurrection. He's at the right hand of God and all angels, fallen angels, demons, devil, good angels, and all authorities and powers, which are every ruler on earth, everything that has any type of authority on heaven, on earth, in the physical or in the spiritual, is now subject to God's power. So every single thing. We don't think about that. We don't talk about demons and the demonic or different things like that. But they are, they do exist. We see it in scripture all over. And so during the resurrection of Jesus, he comes and he has um, basically taken all of these things and said, you are subject to me. I am the king and Lord of all. And I love that because it's like, you know, it's not just like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm your ruler and your ruler. It's like taking all of you and saying, like, I am the, I am the highest. It's taking everything. And I love that's so powerful. What Jesus has done is that he has taken not just 
human authorities, but he's taking everything spiritual that was broken at the very beginning as sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, through Satan's temptation, and he's taken all of those things and he's destroyed that and said, no, I am above all. I'm above everything. Jesus is dealing with it. And I remember as I was studying this verse, I was telling people, like, what I'm going to preach on. And I was like, one of the things I'm going to talk about is Jesus' death and resurrection and the two reasons that Jesus died. And they were like, two reasons? And I was like, yeah, there's two reasons that Jesus died. And the first reason, of course, everybody knows this one, death and resurrection for our sin, right? We know this. Romans Road, you got this, okay? But the second reason is because he came to destroy the works of the devil, He did two things. So, yes, Jesus came to forgive sins, but he didn't just come to forgive sins. He came to take up the very root of sin and pull it out. So when we look at this, it's 1 John 3, 8. Let me read this to you guys because this is awesome. This is a powerful passage that we never really talk about. It says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. And the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There is no point in coming and just forgiving sins if the root of sin is still there and has the ability to do the same thing that happened at the beginning. So what Jesus does is he comes and he's like, I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to take care of all of that. And Jesus' righteousness is going to cover you. But not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to go to the very root of sin, which is the devil himself, the father of lies, and I'm going to deal with him too. And so what Jesus does in his death and his resurrection is he overcomes death. He overcomes all evil in, in the choices that we make and in all the spiritual evil. And he takes that root and he just rips it up. And he says, in my name, I have power over every single thing. Nothing is going to have power over me nor my name. And that is why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Because his name has complete and total authority over everything. So when I pray for people, whether they have a spiritual issue or health issue or whatever, I don't, you know, I don't pray in the name of Janice, you know, because I don't, I don't really have any authority. You know, I could come in here. It's like if I came and was telling Brian, you know, what, how he should do his job. I have no authority. You know, he'd be like, that's funny. Thank you for your suggestion. You know, go back upstairs. You know, like, <laughs> like my authority is not that big here, you know, but that's it's the reality. But in Jesus' name, you know, and I can't, you know, in Jesus' name, you should do this. But um, in Jesus' name, his authority supersedes all of ours. I can ask anything in Jesus' name, and if it is God's will, it will be done. Because nothing can stop God from doing what he wants to do. Nothing can stop him. Not spiritual things, not even humanity, not our will. If God really wants to do something, it's going to be done. God's will will be done because of the authority that comes in Jesus' name. That is so powerful. I love that. And we don't ever talk about that second part. It's just, oh, forgive sins. Yes, that's cool. But also the spiritual side is, is this, 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 uh, this rooting up of sin from the very beginning that we have authority to, to just take our lives back and say, God, I want to live for you. And there is nothing in this world, spiritual or physical, that's going to keep me from doing that if I use the authority in Jesus' name. I love that. So that's, so this is what, um, let's see, 18, 21, and 22. So that's the framework of this whole passage. Okay? Now we're going to get into some of the really, <laughs> the really weird, difficult stuff. Okay? So we're going to go back to verse 19. And this is what verse 19 says. 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So here's the thing, you know, so we've got Jesus that was made alive in the spirit, and now he's going to proclaim to the spirits in prison. Now here's the problem with this passage, or here's the struggle with this passage for people. This is why it's the most difficult, one of the most difficult, 19 and 20. Because we want to know who are these spirits in prison. Who are these people that after Jesus' resurrection, he's going to go proclaim to There's two ideas, there's two camps on this, two main camps. One of them is that Jesus is going to go proclaim to all the disobedient spirits that died, or the people that died during the flood, that Jesus is going back and giving them a second opportunity for salvation. So we see that because verse 20 uh, talks about the flood and and the people that died, so they think, oh, it's that's what it is. It's the people that died in the flood, Jesus resurrected, and he's going to go back, and he's going to tell them about himself, and giving them a second, you know, opportunity for salvation. That's one thought. The second thought is that these spirits in prison are actually um, the fallen angels. So Jesus resurrects, and he goes to those spirits that were disobedient, that he'd put in prison, and he's proclaiming his victory over death and over them. That's the second camp. Now, why is that important? Let's look at this. So if, if the first one is true and we read in the spirits in prison, let's say they are the people that died, just for kicks, you know, they are the people that died in the flood, then what does that mean? After death, someone or some people had an opportunity for salvation. That's what people say that is. They had the second opportunity for salvation. Now, here's the problem with that. One, we see that nowhere else in Scripture. Nowhere else in scripture do we see that somebody has an opportunity after death to accept Jesus. The second thing is it uses the word proclaim. It doesn't use the word evangelize. It says proclaim. So it would say that Jesus proclaimed his death and resurrection to the spirits. Now here's the thing about that. If Jesus was going to go back and give people an opportunity, he wouldn't just tell them, hey, this is what I did. He would evangelize, which is a different Greek word. Okay? So why is that important? Jesus is not lame. Okay? Jesus is not lame. So he's not going to go back to these spirits that are in prison and just tell them what he did without giving them an opportunity to respond. That's not God's heart. God's heart is that everyone would be saved, right? We see that all over scripture. So he's not going to be lame and be that guy that's like, look what I did, see you later. You know what I mean? That's not Jesus at all. That's not his heart. That's not who God is. So for me, I don't accept this interpretation because I think that if Jesus went back to proclaim to those spirits, he would be evangelizing. And since he didn't evangelize, I don't think that this is how we should interpret that. Also because I don't see it in scripture. The second one, we're talking about the spirits in prison as fallen angels. I think that we see that in scripture. There's many times where it's talking about that they are imprisoned, and that they are bound until final judgment. So in his resurrection, I think that Jesus said he went back to those spirits and said, Hey, look at what I've done. I've overcome all of this and all of you. And now wait for the final thing to come. That makes sense to me. That's not lame. Jesus isn't lame. It can't be that. You know what I mean? He doesn't go to not evangelize. If he's going to go to someone, he's going to evangelize to them. So I think that it is the spirits in prison are the fallen angels. That's my interpretation. If you disagree, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, I also, for all of you like theological nerds like myself, if you want to know more about this passage and some of the struggles that are in this, I did put an article in the back on the Connection Center. So if you want to read through this, like really like what are the problems with this and where people get that, there is some more back there. That's why I said there was one. So that's back there. So let's move on to verse 20. 
because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism corresponds to this. So then Peter, I love this guy, but I don't understand why he used the ark. Um, (laughs) He's like, okay, Noah and the ark is just like baptism. I was like, this is the worst illustration in all of the Bible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, as teachers, we use illustrations to, like, make things easier. People can understand. This is the worst illustration of all time in all of Scripture, hopefully in all of, of time, because this doesn't make sense. So I was praying about this, and I was like, God, I do not know. I really don't know how Noah and the ark corresponds to baptism. I have no clue. Besides that, there's water in both. There's water in both stories, you know. And so I started praying, and I kid you not. You can believe this or not. I kid you not. But I feel like the Lord gave me an understanding, and he told me Disneyland. And I was, yeah, no, I know. You're like, oh, the Lord doesn't speak that way. He does. Um, and so, so I got this picture in my head. And what is this? Everybody know? What is this? It's Mickey Mouse, right? We all know this is Mickey Mouse. So even though we don't see, like, Mickey's face, we don't see his body, we know the iconic Mickey Mouse head, right? Everybody knows this image. You know, he's got ears, he's got this really round face. So we all can identify Mickey Mouse because we know what we're looking for, right? It's really easy. Okay, that's Mickey Mouse. Now, Disneyland um, does this really awesome thing. If you've never done it, you should try it. Um, They do something called Hidden Mickey's. So what they do is they take this iconic Disney image and they put it throughout their theme parks and in their movies. It's really awesome. And so they hide them everywhere. So if you know where to look, you can see them throughout their theme parks. And so here's a couple examples of that. So just kind of like some art over there. And then this is, of course, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And there's Dopey and it's in the, it's in the bubbles as they go up. And then we see the bicycle thing. So even though these images don't exactly represent Mickey Mouse himself, you can look at that and know, oh, that's a hidden Mickey. We know because we know what we're looking for. Does that make sense? So even though it's not an exact representation of Mickey Mouse himself, because we know the basic characteristics of Mickey Mouse, we can find him throughout the theme parks and in the movies, right? That's how I look at this baptism and the ark. We are not going to see an exact representation of baptism in the ark story. I've looked, I looked for hours and I couldn't find it. So I was like, okay, it's not going to be an exact representation. But I was like, God, what are we looking for? What is the point of making this connection between the flood story and baptism? And this is what I came up with. As I was praying, I really feel like God gave me another little bit here. And this is, this is what I thought. Um, So let's put up that picture on the next one. So this is what I think. If it's saying that it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism that um, it's kind of connecting everything, then that means that we have this spiritual covering that happens as Christians. Our unrighteousness is completely and totally covered by God's righteousness. God is completely covering us. So as we go down in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus, spiritually we are being completely covered by God and his promises so that we can safely move through sin and this world that's around us. Following me there? Flood account. Same thing happened. God gave a promise to Noah. And as Noah is is, um, identifying with that promise and being obedient to build this ark that took forever, he was given a covering that goes through the water safely. 
Because remember, right before the flood, what was happening, it was just this evil, wicked world that was happening. And so God is like, I'm going to give you this promise. This is what's going to happen, and this is how you're going to get to safety. And so identifying with the promise and covering that God gave Noah allowed him and his family to safely go through the waters. That's the same thing with baptism. Jesus' covering completely and safely covers us spiritually so that we can go through sin and this world that's wicked around us. Both of them give us coverings. One's really physical and one is really spiritual. And it's just a powerful image of what God is doing that everything in this message, if you hear nothing else, all of this is based on what God has done. Whether it's the death and resurrection for our sins. When even in baptism, it's, it's identifying with what God did. Absolutely everything subjected to Jesus because of what he did. Everything is about what God has done for us. So us as people, we as people have a couple decisions to make. One, if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, recognize that God has done all of this for you. He did all of this for you. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to be a better person. You don't have to get clean. whole point of Christianity is to say we can't be perfect. We are not good enough. And God, we need you to help us. That's, that's Christianity at its basic. So for us to accept what Jesus has done and saying, you know what? I want you to come in and start to work through my life so I can be more like you. I want you to be involved in my life so that I can move through and help you in the things that you're doing in this world. If that's you today, we're going to pray and you're going to have the opportunity to make that decision for yourself. And I know it's hard to stand up or raise your hand, so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Just in your, you can say it quietly, you can say it even in your head. Just say, I believe. And if you make that decision and you say, I believe, then I want you to tell three people. You don't have to tell everyone here, but if you just find three people that you're like, hey, I just wanted to let you know I made that decision today. Now, for the rest of you that are Christians, and for those of you specifically that have never been baptized, I cannot say this strong enough. It's not because it's, you know, this is the right Christian thing to do or this is just what Christians do. I'm saying identify publicly with the death and resurrection of Jesus and say, I am with you. I am with you. It's not because it's a Christian thing to do. We're doing it because God says, I want you to become disciples and be baptized. Jesus wants this for us. And we respond as Christians to say, yes, Jesus, I am with you. So if you are a Christian and you have never been baptized, and you haven't made that step of publicly saying, God, I am with you. I identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to find me, Pastor Brian, Pastor Stephen, and say, I want to get baptized. And we'll do it next week. You don't have to wait long. We'll do it right away. We'll do it right next week. You can get baptized. No need to wait. Because there's no reason to hold off and say that. If you're already a Christian, just stand with God publicly to say, I am with you in this. So let's pray real quick. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. So if you're not a Christian and you want to pray that prayer, just remember, just in your mind or quietly to yourself, just say, I believe. And just tell three people. If you are a Christian already and you feel like God is asking you to be baptized, then pray as we're praying. I'm going to ask that God would reveal that to you. And then just come find a pastor and we will, we're going to make that happen next week. Okay? Does that make sense? So let's pray real quick. God, I am so grateful for the gospel. I am so grateful that this whole Christianity thing is what you are done. It's based on who you are and how powerful and loving and faithful you are. So, God, I just pray if there are people here, God, that have just come and that you've drawn them, God, that you can see them right now and you know who they are. God, if if there's someone here that has never accepted you into their life, God, I pray right now, God, that you would just stir their heart. And if that's you today, I just pray that you would say, I believe. 
that, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to begin to just move and change the things in my world. Because he will. He's faithful. And God, I pray if there are people here that are already Christians that have never made that commitment to really identify in the death and resurrection through baptism, God, I pray that you would stir their hearts as well. God, I pray that right now they would just feel just this inner voice in, the, in, their, in their gut or in their mind, God, that they can't not do this. God, that, that you really push and draw them into baptism. And God, I just pray that if, if there's anything that's just speaking against that or, or causing it to be difficult for someone to come to you, God, I just quiet those voices in Jesus' name. God, that you have authority over everything physical and spiritual. God, that you can speak clearly, and we, we just command that in Jesus' name. And God, we just, we just thank you for the work that you've done today and the way that you, you speak and just love us. God, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.